HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Nutrislice, helping school nutrition programs who want to do a little more with their marketing communications. For more information, visit Nutrislice.com. This is Chef Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Good morning and welcome to Inside School Food on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Laura Stanley, bringing you our third episode for Farm to School Month 2015. Um, It is set in Vernon County, Wisconsin, in the heart of the beautiful Driftless area of southern Wisconsin. So what's the Driftless area, you say? Um, welcome to my latest obsession. More about that shortly. But, but first, a little about the focus of today's show. Um, we're going to be talking about a countywide high school cooking competition. Uh, many of you will remember that last year we profiled a student competition called Cooking Up Change, which originated in Chicago and now includes high school teams from eight additional major urban districts. It's a big, bold program with an ambitious national agenda. Um, I I loved doing that episode, and it's still one of my favorites, and it's strongly recommended um, if you haven't heard it yet. Um, But in the months following that broadcast, I began hearing about scaled-down versions of cooking up change in smaller districts. And and food directors were telling me that they found that, that these kind of high school cooking competitions can be hugely effective in generating excitement about school food, um, especially during farm-to-school season when students can work with locally grown ingredients. Um, In rural Vernon County, there are just six high schools, and each with an an enrollment of less than 400. Uh, Their program, which they call the Harvest Challenge, was introduced to the region Um, some years ago, I guess about seven years ago, by the renowned uh, French-American chef Monique Hooker. Um, So with us today to talk about Harvest Challenge are three guests from Viroqua, Wisconsin. Uh, We're going to begin with Robin Hoseman, who is the library media specialist for Viroqua's middle school and high school, and also the staff leader for Viroqua's Harvest Challenge team. After station break, we will be speaking with Luke Zom, who is chef-owner of Viroqua's celebrated Driftless Cafe and the chef-mentor for the Viroqua 
team. And he will be joined by high school senior Ross DeWard. So welcome, Robin. Hi. It's really nice to be here. Yeah, well, we're happy to have you with us today. Um, and I have to say, you know, you're the first school librarian to ever appear on the show, so you're expanding <laughs> our many uh, our spectrum of voices. Um, tell us, what, you know, how you, um, as school librarian, became involved in, in basically, like, you're the, you're the staff advisor for the Harvest Challenge. Yes. Uh, well, prior to becoming a school librarian, I was a middle school classroom teacher for 15 years, and... I've always been drawn to supporting extracurricular activities that really connect students with the world in vital ways. And for me, food and cooking are big ones, just personally. And and from my experience being an educator, um, you know that we need to take care of the whole child during the day, the school day. And you can't be a teacher and not recognize um, the impact that food and nutrition has on learning and has on growing. So for me, um, it's, it's just a passion area personally, but um, I was able to connect with Monique, uh, our, our awesome farm to school champion here in the region, uh, about six years ago, and I started working with a team in another school. And then when I moved to this school, um, Marilyn Volden, our, our excellent and amazing food service director, she's also been so instrumental in bringing local food into the school lunch program uh, she recruited me for the Harvest Challenge. Yeah, since I great. Knew that. And, and I knew you, my background. You also have personal roots in the region. Um, your family um, far- was farming here when you were a child, um, yeah. and it's the Driftless area. So, as as a coming from a Driftless area farming family, maybe you can tell us a little bit about what is the Driftless area. Sure. So, the Driftless area is a really interesting and beautiful region. Um, highly recommend any listeners out there to come visit us. Uh, it is an unglaciated area in the um, states of uh, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Iowa, and Illinois, parts of Illinois, so that little region there. But it, it's quite remarkable for uh, the microclimates and the um, just the heritage of agriculture here. Mm-hmm. And um, so my family was drawn uh, when I was just an infant, and we've been coming here. And uh, my father always raised his own beef, and we always had really substantial gardens. So uh, food food is just really in our roots. Right, right. So, so Driftless is, is um, known for this gentle landscape because it was untouched yes. by glaciation. Um, right. And so you've got these beautiful kind of farms that grow their crops in sculpted formation that follow the contours of the hills. It's yeah. very beautiful. And we should also mention that Driftless, the Driftless area is the home of uh, most of Organic Valley's community of farmers. So they, they really right. dominate the culture there in a, in a really exciting way. Yeah. Um, so let's get down to Harvest Challenge um, and sure. how it works. Um, how does it come together at your school? It takes about well, a month, right? What's that? It takes about a month from start to finish. Yeah. Right. We have um, we try to actually get together the, the previous spring before the kids leave for the summer so that we can have some thinking going on about the challenge uh, so that when we come back in the fall, it's always a mad rush in schools in September. Um, but we really want students kind of dreaming and, and thinking about food and thinking about menu changes. So then we, we get a group together based on interest. We put a few announcements out, and um, we rely on the, the former team members to kind of spread the word as well. Um, but then we come together in some meetings during the day where we discuss the, what they like and dislike about school lunches, mm-hmm. and uh, we start brainstorming from there. And, um, you know, as soon as possible, we try to bring in our chef mentor, and Luke's been phenomenal at, at getting in and really uh, walking 
students through the process of, you know, choosing foods and thinking about um, simplifying, uh, making recipes simple and and delicious. Right, um, right. So he gets right in there too. But um, we we really have to. It's a it's a strict competition because we have to meet that dollar limit uh, for the the cost and then comply with all the nutritional guidelines and include all the four components. Yeah, on the lunch that, that's really important. And that that mm-hmm. is how Cooking Up Change is designed. Also, the students right. are restricted to that extremely modest food budget. They have to follow the rules and the recipe needs to be simple enough to pass muster with the food service staff at your school. You know, in other words, it needs right. to be viable because at the end, they're going to make it and serve it to the students. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, so it's a very big learning process for all of our students. Yes. Um, you know, in realizing it's kind of pulling back the curtain on what how their food gets to them in the school day, yeah. and it's that's a really remarkable uh, process to see the students realize the complexities there. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. And, and what is it? Six steps. You can't have more than six steps. Right. We really aren't supposed yeah. to have more than six steps, and and you're docked if if you go over um, points wise mm-hmm. in the final competition. Yeah. So, um, right. Right. So let's talk about that competition. That's a big yeah. day, right? So you've got, right. you've got six we're teams. We're really gearing up for it. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> um, right. So we have, uh, this year we have a little bit of a larger team, but um, six students are allowed to go in to present their meal to a team of judges after making it at the school host site. Mm-hmm. And um, so they have to present and talk all about their process and talk all about how their their menu is appealing and what local ingredients they've included and and how they design their menus. So that's a really neat, um, as an educator, I feel like that presentation is such uh, a beautiful way of pulling together so many learning modalities with the students. But, um, yep, they have to have matching uniforms, and they have to decorate a serving station, and then they actually have to serve um, 250 people mm-hmm. uh, or, you know, approximately that many people will come and taste. And then the audience judges with their, their taste buds. So they actually have a token to vote for the meal that they like the best. Mm-hmm. And then the judges also choose the meal that they, um, they believe was the best points-wise and presentation-wise. So, mm-hmm. um, and this, yep, year, this year you have a very special guest. Uh, for our... I mean judge, right. Oh, yeah, actually, I wasn't aware of that yet. <laughs> so oh, yes, USDA Deputy Undersecretary Katie Wilson is going to oh, be. Oh, yes. excellent. Yes, and she's going to be. <laughs> you didn't know that, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's Very exciting, exciting. and a big great, honor for great. the kids. And, and I, I know we know from our relationship, with the show's relationship with Katie, that she's going to just love digging in and having this experience. So Excellent. It's, yeah. it's a really fun event mm-hmm. and exciting and fast-paced, and, and students get such a realistic um, kitchen experience. Right, uh, right. I so. mean, when, when the kids join the Harvest Challenge, are, are they already foodie kids who know their way around the kitchen, or are they starting from scratch themselves? You know, uh, it's, it's a wide variety. We really do have quite a few students who have never had cooking experience, um, and they, they jump right in. And it's really, really cool to see their skills develop, especially with uh, with Luke's help and assistance. So um, we have a, a wide variety. We have a few students who are really passionate about food and um, come from backgrounds that, you know, have exposed them to a variety of different mm-hmm. kinds of eating. But but overall, um, I would say it's, it's pretty split. We have a nice balance. Yeah, yeah. And, and you told me that Wisconsin students as a group are pretty conservative in their food um, tastes. Do you, do you think that um, the Harvest Challenge kids are more adventurous or do they get more adventurous through the process of 
doing this? I would, I would say, you know, I think all, all students, you know, it depends to the individual, mm-hmm. of course. Um, but I think, you know, overall kids in schools are looking for a certain kind of food to eat and, and a kind of a predictability, but, you know, uh, a tastiness. But at the same time, I really see a huge amount of growth in our, our team mm-hmm. in trying new things. And that comes partly from the relationship they develop with our chefs and partly from just the camaraderie of let's try this and let's, you know, let's experiment with, with these flavors. So that's a really, really neat uh, sidebar uh, mm-hmm. growth mm-hmm. in our in our kids. And, and one would hope that their excitement transfers to their peers when they present the recipe at school and kids yeah. are, I mean, does it, do most of the kids want to try the recipe? When, when yeah, they, and uh, yes, our little, our team becomes kind of a little celebrity team. They, we right. have them hooked up with a microphone in the cafeteria and they talk about their dish and they really encourage the kids to try it. So, and they usually wear their uniforms or, um, you know, so that there's kind of a cool, cool yeah. factor to it. But yeah, that, that definitely spreads. And we're gearing up to do that this week to to uh, present our dish to the student body for, for feedback. Oh, so. you are so ready. All right. I'm looking forward to asking um, Ross and Luke about, about the dish. Um, yeah. So, Robin, thank you so much. Um, we're yeah, going to pause so- for a station break now. When we come back, sure. Luke and Ross will pick up where you left off. Um, this so is much, Inside Lord. School Food, and we have been speaking with Viroqua Area Schools Library Media Specialist Robin Hoseman about the Vernon County, Wisconsin Annual Harvest Challenge. My thirtieth year to heaven Woke to my hearing from harbour and neighbourhood And the muscle pool and the heron priesthood Today's program was brought to you by Nutrislice. Nutrislice wants to see you succeed. They help school nutrition programs who want to do a little more with their marketing communications. Nutrislice is all about helping people increase their nutrition IQ. Their products are designed to engage, educate, and inspire greater levels of personal wellness. Whether you're interested in communicating the virtues of your nutrition program, upping your game in the fight against childhood obesity, saving money, or becoming more innovative, Nutrislice has the tools for you. They can help you reduce food waste by getting kids excited about eating healthy foods. Is your program serving healthy foods but not getting the credit it deserves? Nutrislice can help you communicate all the great things you're doing to parents, students, school administrators, and the community. They can also help you gain critical customer insights to your business. They've worked with the most innovative school nutrition programs in the country, big and small, and their experience speaks for itself. Get in touch today to see what Nutrislice can do for you. That's Nutrislice.com. Hi, this is Dave Arnold from Cooking Issues, and I'm here to talk to you about the Museum of Food and Drink, which is finally getting a brick-and-mortar space right here in Brooklyn, New York. 
So the Museum of Food and Drink is opening the MOFAD Lab, our first laboratory and gallery space, where we will be putting on an exhibition called Making It or Faking It, the history of the flavor industry. And it tackles a very important uh, topic, which is how the food system got to be the way it is now uh, as a result of the intervention of the flavor industry, how that happened. Get your tickets at tickets.mofad.org to come see the first exhibit ever of the Museum of Food and Drink at the MOFAD Lab, brought to you by Infinity on 62 Bayard Street. Hi, my name is Whitney Pratt. Last year, I was serving with Food Corps with the North Shore Compact, which includes Big Fork, School District, Summerson's Lakeside District, and Cayuse Prairie. And my favorite farm-to-school event happened during our Harvest of the Month program in March. And for us in Montana, March is beef. So I took two third-grade classes to Lower Valley Processing, which is a meat processing company here in Kalispell, Montana. And with these students, we had done some lessons about cows, so they knew about the different compartments of the stomach. They knew a little bit about how ranching works. A lot of them come from ranching families, and we had the best time on this field trip. The kids got a tour of the plant. They got to make their own little pepperoni sticks and take them home, and they got to even see the room with all of the hanging carcasses, which they loved. And the next day, the kids got to eat Lower Valley hamburgers in the cafeteria, and it was a huge hit with all the kids loving the hamburgers. Many thanks to Food Corps' Whitney Pratt for sharing her farm-to-school story. Uh, Whitney is now serving with Food Corps in Kalispell, Montana. Uh, Today on Inside School Food, we're looking at a high school cooking competition designed to celebrate the agricultural heritage of a very special region. It also turns students and the community onto the growing presence of fresh local food and school meals throughout Vernon County, Wisconsin. Uh, We're focusing on Viroqua, which is just one of the six participating districts. Um, I'm very excited to have uh, with us today Luke Zahm, who is the chef owner of Viroqua's Driftless Cafe. Uh, Luke has emerged as a a culinary champion for the Driftless area, and and I'm going to leave it to him to tell you how that happened. Um, And with him is Ross DeWard, who is in his second year as a Harvest Challenge team member. So welcome, Ross and Luke. Good morning. Good morning. Um, We have lots to talk about, but first, how about we go straight to the food? How about you tell us about um, the the dish the team has developed for this year's Harvest Challenge? Who wants, Ross, uh, you you want to take that? Uh, The dish, uh, so this year we are doing a kind of breakfast burrito. Mm-hmm. And so we have a base of eggs and different uh, fall vegetables, and then we have a uh, spicy salsa, kind of sweet, uh, to go up on, uh, on top. And then on the side, we have um, potatoes. Mm-hmm. And your ingredients are local? Like what's in the salsa, yeah. and is it all from, from the area? All the ingredients are local. That's excellent. And... You're able to do this at $1 a plate? We are. You have to. Okay, very yeah, good. Yeah, we have to, exactly. <laughs> um, so, Luke, you, you've become a very well-known figure in your community, and it's a great story. Tell, tell us how that came came to pass. 
Well, uh, thanks for that. Um, you know, I actually, I grew up in the area. I grew up uh, about 13 miles away from where a restaurant currently sits in, in the small town of Lafarge. And uh, like Ross, when I was in high school, um, you know, in the 80s and 90s in this region, we saw the farming industry changing a lot. Uh, the dairy industry at that point in time was kind of collapsing, and it was, uh, it was kind of a, a strange period to have an identity and a relationship um, with this place growing up. So naturally, I wanted to, to get as far away from here as I could. Mm -hmm. um, but what ended up happening in 1988 in my hometown, a small town of 766 people in what was largely considered one of the most economically impoverished counties in Wisconsin, um, this little seed got planted. It was, it was known as the acronym CROP, uh, the Cooley Region Organic Produce Pool. What happened was there were seven family farmers that decided to pool their efforts and market their farming endeavors together. What that created was a farmer cooperative that started to pick up steam and it started to pick up energy. And with older, more conventional farms kind of phasing out of the landscape, we saw a lot of younger, uh, passionate farmers coming in and really started celebrating this idea of organics, organics, organics. Mm -hmm. The Cooley Region uh, Produce Pool has has basically morphed and changed its character, and it is uh, Organic Valley, wow. the national or international brand that majority of Americans recognize. If you've been in, in a dairy aisle in the supermarket in the last 15 years, it's uh, it's a paramount in most in most uh, families' lives that are that are concerned about what they're eating and and how they're getting uh, access to to good wholesome food. So that that happened in my hometown. Um, and watching that kind of come to fruition, it, it really developed in me a strong sense of food identity. When I was a chef and I was traveling, I spent many years cooking in, in Madison. Um, it, it kind of dawned on me, I was, I was actually in upstate New York. I was at the Culinary Institute of America. Mm -hmm. I was having dinner in American Bounty as I was recruiting chefs to come back to Wisconsin. And uh, I sat down and I opened the menu at American Bounty and there were, there were five ingredients from the Driftless region there. <laughs> And that was like the light bulb for me, like, what am I doing? I'm chasing this all around the United States. I need to come home, mm -hmm. uh, come home and, and, and put my, my time and energy and passion into, uh, into building this, this, this thing here. Right, right. And so you established the Driftless Cafe, and it's kind of a centerpiece of the agricultural community. Um, I'm, I am going to post a link to the cafe on today's show page, but tell, tell us a little bit about the restaurant and its, you know, its locavore mission. Sure. Well, the cafe, you know, to be fair, the cafe was started before, actually, I, I took it over mm -hmm. um, in, in, what is it, 2013. Um, you know, it's been in the community since about 2007, and it's gone through various incarnations. But the, the mission of the cafe is to, to change its, its menus daily. Um, our dinner menu and our lunch menu always are in a state of progression based on what we're able to uh, allocate from our farmers. Um, so we have about 70 seats that, you know, it, on, the, on the weekends it's a really, really busy place, but the idea is that we have people coming in here who maybe haven't heard of the Driftless region. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're not aware that this is the highest concentration of organic farms anywhere in the United States. Vernon County is. Mm. And, you know, coming in and seeing 
what different people are doing with this food. We have a local natural soda maker. We have Kickapoo Coffee, uh, an artisanal coffee roaster in town. Uh, we have Organic Valley, obviously, and all these farms. We just try and take the best of the best and put it together on a menu so that you could come in and get a snapshot of what's happening here and uh, hopefully, you know, catch some of the enthusiasm that, that we share for, for the growth of this place. Right. And as the only um, restaurant of this kind in the region, you are a very, very busy man. And so I'm, I'm wondering, how do you manage to take on mentoring the Harvest Challenge team on top of everything else? Well, uh, you know, I think the, ultimately it comes down, it's a matter of choice. Um, it's really important for me that kids like Ross get to share this identity, this identity that I didn't realize until I was in the, in the world. I was in the Whole Foods in Chicago, and I saw an Organic Valley cheese set, and it, it blew me away. Um, it literally changed my life because I realized that I had an identity to these food, this food and these farmers. Um, I think it's really important, and if you want to make a positive change in the food system, it has to start at a, at a much younger age. Mm-hmm. So really trying to cement this identity for these kids that, this is who we are, and, and as you venture into the world, uh, this place is gaining notoriety for its amazing food and its amazing farmers, and trying to get them to see it now earlier and embrace it and help you know, reinforce some, some lifestyle choices that will carry on into their future. Oh, that, that, that's beautiful. And, and would you say that there are any direct or indirect ben- benefits to your business at Driftless Cafe? Sure, absolutely. Uh, you know, I get, I get the pleasure of, of working with kids like Ross DeWard. Um, you know, Ross came on last year and, and had an interest in, in culinary arts. And um, as, as a longtime veteran of kitchens, um, I knew that he needed to spend some time in the kitchen before he went, went into culinary school. If that was to be his choice, it was, it was very important that you saw the real-life uh, situations and work environments that, that you would be spending ultimately your career in. Mm-hmm. So that for me is, is, is one of the indirect benefits. But I also really, really uh, enjoy the involvement in the community. We've always said from day one in our mission statement that we wanted this restaurant and this food to be a vehicle for growth and change into the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's being able to be a part of the, the Harvest Challenge is, is definitely, definitely uh, adhering to that mission. Right. Well, I mean, for any chefs listening who are contemplating entering the chef's move to school movement or some other relationship with their local schools, I mean, this is this is a pretty powerful endorsement for that kind of activity. So so thank you for that. Um, Ross, uh, t- tell us a little bit about yourself. It's, it's, um, it, I understand that you're thinking about um, entering a culinary career. Um, is it because of your involvement with Harvest Challenge that, that that happened for you? Well, so I last year I got to uh, participate in a program, uh, just kind of a put together of Luke and another small team, and we got to create a dinner service for uh, the board staff. Mm-hmm. And so working with them, you know, it was very enjoyable working with Luke and then working with a small team it really got me thinking maybe this is something I could do. So after that, I found out about the Harvest Challenge, mm-hmm. and then that's really where you know, I started. I went on trips with Luke. Uh, we went to Edelboe, Madison, and got to help uh, prepare the food. and then just. So that, that, was a, that was a banquet for the Edible Madison magazine? It was. Yeah, it was. great. Yeah. Yeah, so 
just all these really amazing experiences that have come along with, you know, uh, cooking and Harvest Challenge. It's just really shown me, you know, the culinary world is something truly great. Yeah, yeah. You, you told me that you've enjoyed cooking since you were eight years old. Um, I have. <laughs> but Luke, and, you know, in meeting Luke, that was the first time you've actually got to work with, with a pro. I mean, you know, at the beginning when when it, when the relationship started, like what what took you by surprise about his, his worldview and his, his take on cooking? Uh, well, you know, when, I, when you think of chefs, you know, you think of them, you know, very strict, um, you know, not really... Oh, for me, not really talking to students, you know, just do it like this, don't talk, just prepare it like this. But, you know, working with Luke, um, he really makes it fun, you know, we're just the different techniques he's showing us uh, just really has opened up the world of just how, you know, chefs really act and Mm -hmm. uh, their viewpoint on it. Right, right. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about that. Um, and maybe, uh, Luke, I'll have you start. I just, I'm interested in learning more about the, the actual, you know, on-the-ground chef-team relationship. We just heard Robin say that the chef enters the process at the beginning, but the, the team spends a lot of time away from the chef, too. So, so, Luke, like, you know, when do you parachute back in? And, you know, what is it? How are you shaping the experience and helping the kids uh, on their way and developing their dish? Sure. Uh, I think, actually, you know, the the question of when to kind of insert yourself or assert yourself into this process, <clears throat> it's kind of ongoing. Uh, it's one of those questions that, that remains to be uh, completely defined only because in the process we definitely want to give the kids the ability to express themselves, to really look at an idea and examine it. Um, unfortunately, like I sometimes come in as the heavy hand and say, "Okay, you know, this is uh, this is going to this is a really creative idea, really hard to execute." Mm-hmm. You know, I, I love the I love the inspiration that you have going on this side, but from a technical standpoint, you know, in order to execute this and, and to pull it off in a, in a way that's palatable, attractive, uh, we're going to need to rethink this a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I think it's it's a very fluid thing, um, and trying not to, you don't want to ever crush anyone either, you know, because you never know how attached someone is to this idea when, when going into it. We just try and play it, uh, play it case by case. However, I will say, you know, my involvement ends up being much more hands on the ground or feet on the ground when uh, when the the rubber hits the road, when mm-hmm. we're actually starting to execute pieces of the dish. Mm-hmm. I want to be there to talk about, you know, the knife skills, how we make more consistent cuts, how, why do we want consistency in our product before it goes into a pan, trying to get kids to uh, think critically, uh, because, because cooking, as, you know, anyone who does it knows, uh, is not usually rocket science. It's a very intuitive, intuitive craft uh, that is very beautiful. I had a chef in, early in my career, though, literally scream at me until she was blue in the face <laughs> about how I was a smart kid. Why was I not cooking like I was a smart kid? And that, for me, has forever cemented this idea that, you know, if you use your intuition, we cut the vegetables the same size so they cook in the same fashion, and we don't mix them in pans so that way we can control the cooking process. Uh, I try and instill that in the kids as well. So even if this is the only experience they have with a professional chef in their entire life, they'll at least walk away with this baseline understanding of this is what it means to make food. This is how we make our food better and how we make it more efficiently. Right, 
Right. Um, Ross, you, you told me that being on the team is kind of perceived as cool among your peers and, and, and that it's also just really fun. Um, you want to talk about, you know, what it's like working with the gang a little bit? Yeah, yeah. So, well, it's at the beginning of the program, you know, everyone knew who we, uh, each other were, uh, but, you know, we really didn't bond very much. But then waking up at 6 in the morning to come to school to... 6 in the morning. Uh, okay. Yeah, That's commitment. Uh, to prepare our dish... We, you know, slowly became uh, closer to each other. Uh, we started to hang out more as a group. And, you know, it's like food really does bring everyone together, which is an incredible thing. Mm-hmm. And then, so that was one really big part. You know, having a really uh, great team alongside of you, creating a great dish, uh, is always a key thing to you. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And, and you heard Robin say that there's a certain amount of cachet, you know, when you come in in your uniforms and you present your dish to your peers. Would, would you agree that um, the kids are kind of tuning in more to school food because of this? And, and the other question I have is, um, do they tune in to the fact that this is local, that this is really a farm to school month um, project? Yeah, well, um a lot of the students at school, you know, live close uh, to the local farmers and mm-hmm. they didn't even realize that you know, they're producing food that actually goes into our school lunch. So a lot of the students find that very, very cool to, you know, ha- uh, even live next to the farmers. Mm-hmm. So having them take part in, you know, the Harvest Challenge really shows them more about, you know, how much work Susie does go into creating uh, school food. Um, as when I first started the program, I had no idea um, that there were so many different regulations and uh, small little things that went into school food. Oh, yeah. So, so now I'm very appreciative of um, just all the little things they do at the school. Right, right. And I, I'm glad you brought that up because that was the next thing I wanted to ask about. Um, <laughs> you know, you're, you're working with these in restrictions um, imposed by USDA menu guidelines and the limited food budget. I mean, Luke, when you first stepped into this project, were you aware of just how um, challenging it was going to be? Did you did you know that there was so little money, for instance? <laughs> no, actually. Um, when um, Marilyn Bolden, the food service director here, encouraged me to attend the uh, Chef's Move to Schools conference mm-hmm. that was actually held here in Viroqua. And uh, one of the former directors of LA Unified School District was on hand to break down the financial pieces for navigating a school lunch. Mm-hmm. Super overwhelming. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, I definitely felt after getting the, the rundown on the nutritional requirements and the financial requirements that, that I was going to be completely ineffective in these programs. Uh, because as a chef, you're taught to make things taste good. You're taught to, you know, put things together that people might like and might want. And, and then when you narrow that scope so magnificently with the financial restrictions and then further intensify it with the nutritional restrictions, all of a sudden you're looking at this little sliver of light that you're trying to hit mm. and, and, you know, essentially hit a home run in a competition like this. So it's, it's daunting, and that would be my, my piece of advice to anyone who is considering, as a, as a culinary professional, getting involved with school lunches and school lunch programs. Mm-hmm. Look into the Chef's Move to School programs. Uh, they're definitely well worth it, and they definitely paint um, a very realistic portrait of how you can get involved and how that matters 
And I think now, a few years later, I'm able to better digest that, that information and, and hopefully um, affect some positive change or positive outcomes in the programs. But it's overwhelming at first. Yeah, it really puts your skills to the test. Like, oh, oh my you, goodness. you can't use any more salt. You can't use any more fat. Oops, you know. <laughs> right, right. Salt, salt and butter. I mean, uh, for, for any of us who have trained in a French kitchen, that's, like, that's, that's the go-to, and, and, yeah. and those are the things that you absolutely do not have at your disposal. Right, right. That, that's tough. How about you, Ross? I mean, you're considering um, having a restaurant someday and being a chef. Um, do you chafe under those restrictions when you can't use more salt or more fat or, you know, or just more food? Yeah, well, it's like we, uh, last year we did a garnet squash, and, you know, that has a lot of cheese content. A lasa- it was a lasagna, food. right? Yeah, the lasagna. Mm-hmm. And this was, you know, really complicated because we had, you know, it was over in fat, and so we had to try to find uh, cheese that was fat-free. So it, this was a really big, you know, problem and, you know, just viewpoint of what we had to do to change that. Right. Right. Um, I, 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 it's just good to hear that out loud so people can appreciate how, how big a challenge food service uh, school, school cooks have. Um, and when it's delicious, it's a real tribute to their skill. Um, well, guys, I got to say bit, uh, best wishes for the big day. What, when is the competition this year? Uh, the competition is November 7th. Okay. Well, good luck with that. Um, I would say I would be rooting for you, but I don't want to play favorites. There's five other schools. <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> Sorry. Um, you have been listening to Ross DeWard, who is a high school senior and team member for his school in Vernon County, Wisconsin. Uh, in, I'm sorry, in the Vernon County, Wisconsin Harvest Challenge. Uh, Luke Zom is his team's chef manager and the chef owner of the celebrated Driftless Cafe in Viroqua, Wisconsin. I've posted a link to the cafe on today's show page. I've also posted a link to a 30-minute Emmy award-winning documentary called Mysteries of the Driftless. I have to say, it has nothing to do with school food or even food, but I loved it so much I had to share. It, it's a, <laughs> it's fa- great. Yeah, it's, it, it's a fascinating introduction to the natural history of the region, and there are some beautiful area shots of those sculpted-looking farms um, we talked about earlier. Yeah. Uh, Next week, we visit a little town in the heart of the most densely populated area in the nation. It's in northern New Jersey, right by the mouth of the Lincoln Tunnel into Manhattan. And somehow they managed to do farm-to-school really, really well there. So join us to learn how. You've been listening to Inside School Food. If you like what you're hearing, you can help us by following us on Facebook or Twitter or signing up for our um, email, or rather our um, e-newsletter on InsideSchoolFood.com. This really helps us to know who is listening, which is very important. Um, Today's break music um, was provided by Keto. Uh, The theme song to my show is Taxstar. The sponsor is Nutrislice, and um, my name is Laura Stanley. Thank you for tuning in. But don't go away, because we have a short clip of another Heritage Radio production uh, called Tech Bites. How important is it when you're thinking about people to collaborate or set up a show with one DJ after the other? How important is that personal connection? personal feeling and then outside of that do you ever connect with people on a personal level but you really just don't dig their music 
And then what do you do? Or does that never happen? On episode 34 of Tech Bites, executive producer and DJ Jack Inslee explains how being friendly matters in the music industry. It's a good question. It's a very good question. Um, the, the first part of that question, I would say it matters a lot whether or not you're, you like somebody and, and can get along with them and tolerate them. Uh, you can, I mean, there are both of us oh my can, God. can list plenty of people whose music we love. I DJ their music. I think they're brilliant, but I can't stand them. And I mean, So that means you don't want to be sleeping in a tent with them for four days at Bonnaroo. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um or yeah, I mean it's uh, you consider that when when you're booking shows and when you're traveling, you're like, yeah, they're great, but do I really want to like spend time with this person? Or, you know, are, are they coming at this with a team mentality, or is the ego coming first? And for me, I mean that's definitely a big consideration. This show is a DJ takeover, but each week Tech Bites regularly covers all areas of the food and technology intersection. Hear even more about Jack Inslee's DJ collaboratives and explore what he has to do with food on heritageradionetwork.org or iTunes. Heritage Radio Network is a member-supported nonprofit organization broadcasting over 30 live shows a week. To learn more and donate, visit our website or connect with us on iTunes, Stitcher, Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram for more. Thanks for listening.